Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. Hello, I'm Rachel, host of the Skies Were Under podcast. I'm a nurse, the parent of a child with severe and complex needs, and I'm the author of The Skies of Under, as well as founder of Born at the Right Time. Welcome to episode five. Today, I'm joined again by our season one regular guests, Sarah Clayton and Lucy Parr. Sarah is the CEO of Simple Stuff Works, and her eldest daughter suffered a brain tumour at the age of six, which, as a consequence of treatment and complications, she's a now beautiful young woman with learning disabilities and some complex medical needs. She, Sarah starts this episode with a confession and throughout we refer to EHCPs as education health and care plans which are used as a as a format of providing specialist education and might be within mainstream support or specialist schools but ever any child that needs additional support. Lucy is part of the way through a PhD in educational psychology. Her third child, a third of four, has a chromosome duplication, which means he isn't verbal, has autism and high sensory needs and lots of complex epilepsy as well. In this episode, Lucy expands her professional repertoire to include sex education. Yeah, just, um, I don't quite know how it got onto that, but just discussing sex ed brought flashbacks for Sarah who um, was once a biology teacher. In today's episode, we do talk about trust, which is slightly more useful in sex ed. Um, And I love the definition that Charles Feltman has about trust. He says, trust is believing that what we think is important is safe with you. So with that in mind, whether we're we're talking about EHCPs, trust, we also talk about blended diet, which is for people who have tubes in their stomach, whether Mickey's or Peg's, instead of um, giving those people formula that has been prescribed and manufactured in a factory with all the specific nutrients, blended diet is about providing food that has been cooked in our own kitchens and blended to a smooth paste and pushing that straight into the port in your child's stomach. So we're going to discuss all these things, but that's enough from me. Let's begin. How is everyone? I uh, can I start with an apology? Oh, okay. Can I I know. I feel that our uh, loyal listener may have picked up from a previous episode <laughs> slight optimism. About the future and about when your child goes through transition and then people stop asking you kind of to describe them and to go into granular detail about the yes. things that they can that was and episode cannot two. do. Episode two. Yeah. So I was like, do you know what? I just think it's so much better now she's older. I, think it's just... I just think it's, it's, so, it's so much easier than what you guys are going through. Because yeah. My life so I want so to take easier. all of that back. I want to take all of that back because I was actually talking shite. And... Um, yeah, so we're straight back into it, and um, yeah, it's worse than ever. So Aww. I think you know, like sometimes when karma comes round really quickly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, just just occasionally it comes round. Like, like it like feels bad, like it comes round quick. Like one of those really yeah. quick burps where you've just eaten dinner and yep. the tuna comes up like before yep. you finished before exactly you finish the meal, rather than three or four hours later, and like oh. That's yes. a surprise. Oh, I remember eating that. But the um yeah, so I was thinking about it the other day and I thought, oh no. I may have given the impression that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I'd like to just ex- extinguish that light. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take that light and I'm gonna trample on it. And I'd like to just pour water all over it. Okay. Aww. So yeah, so that's my apology. So how are you with all that? Oh, just frazzled with it. How? Can you not know when people are doing their jobs if you don't know what their job... Like, unless yep. you know the job description mm. of every single bloody bastard that's involved, how yep. can you know when they're not doing it? So yeah. then now, it's like, well, this isn't in the EHCP and this isn't in the EHCP. And it's like, oh, okay, sorry. As well as all of the other stuff, I was also supposed 
to have a full understanding of the legal process of EHCP. Every the, the SEND guidance, I'm supposed to know that inside out. And I'm supposed to hold down a job and I'm supposed to look after her on a yeah. day-to-day basis. Shit, I didn't realise. But anyway, my, my brief <laughs> apology has turned into a slight rant. <laughs> but so long as we're all clear. I talk about that in the, um, I talk about that in one of my training things about the whole, the, the stress around and Joe Griffin's research on, on stress for parents and in it, partly being related to your child's impairment then but we, as we said before, actually, lots of the stress comes from the context that that child's impairment places the whole family in and the kind of the relationships and the therapies and the negotiating and the, all that stuff. And within what makes responsibility stressful is not having the authority, the agency and the resources yeah. with which to do it. And what you're talking about is what I call agency, that kind of mm-hmm. not necessarily that you have the time, which you may not have, not necessarily that you are able to make the decisions, which you still might not be able to have, but you don't know what it is you're no. supposed to be looking for. You don't know what good looks like. So exactly. how are you supposed to say, oh, you're being a good social worker or you're being a good mm-hmm. learning disability nurse or you're being a good whatever, if you don't know what that's supposed to look like what that's supposed to entail what you know like you we were talking um before the podcast started and you were like well I didn't know this thing even existed like no I didn't we're supposed to be doing this transition thing to adulthood but I didn't even know there was such a thing (laughs) I had no clue I had absolutely no clue because it has never been part of our lives you know like nobody's ever mentioned it I don't know like and and then you get like you're supposed to know the stuff from the education side of it, so that all the EHCP stuff. You're supposed to know the stuff from the social care side of it, so you bloody care act. You're supposed to, know, you know, like kind of. And then I get, I don't know, I don't know about you guys. Do you get the thing where I I feel a sense of inadequacy when always. I don't care where that sentence is going. <laughs> it doesn't matter yes. what the end of that sentence is. Yes. I can affirm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but you know, do you know, like, right, I've got so many friends and, and uh, so many friends. End of sentence. No, it's not the end of the sentence. Loads of contact, <laughs> loads of people who I know that I can turn to for support from different from like a different different perspectives around so so I was able to get in touch with somebody this week from the legal side of it with the EHCP you know like mm-hmm. kind of and they can give me pointers to this that and the other but then just sometimes I get this complete sense of overwhelm and inadequacy that I haven't got myself to that level of expertise yeah do you know do you know what I mean and yeah. then that makes me just want to like have like a temper tantrum Bloody hell, I can't do it. And I can't be as good as so-and-so. What's that about? It um, shows the lack of trust. Mm. Because when, because if we thought we could trust everybody in the system, and I don't think it's because people in this, it, people and practitioners are not doing their best, but because they are not supported equally with the authority, agency and resources yeah, to yeah. do their jobs. Yep. We're kind of trained very early on, I think, in this ride to question things, to read between mm. the lines, to mm-hmm. write everything down, to because there are there are occasions and times when stuff isn't done and it's missed mm-hmm. and it's whatever. And we feel like the only way to protect our loved ones is to make sure that we're keeping track of everything. It's and like, that adds layers of stress. Yeah, it's like another version of the... Um hypervigilance yeah you know it isn't it it feels like another layer of the like we've talked you know kind of you know watching for the seizure coming or watching Mm, for the mm. for the you know kind of the the every little movement overwhelm all of those things and then on top of that we're doing that to everybody else (laughs) yeah it's like another which oh, is really toxic for those relationships too. Oh, totally. Like it's not and helpful I think, for any of and us. And I think I'm allergic to like legal jargon <laughs> because I feel... Brings you out in a rash. I, oh my God. I, I can't, I have a concentration span, like particularly early on when she was, when, when like early in her diagnosis and, and all of that stuff, I could, like my concentration is just shocking. And, and I am, I've n- like, I've never had a, wildly brilliant concentrations anyway but as soon as I see like a term 
that that has a bit of legalese around it, I just sh- like I'm like for God's sake concentrate just. But it shouldn't be our job as parents to do that. That's the problem, isn't it? It shouldn't totally. be our job. And I think there is a massive gap in professional practice of somebody being a case holder or a lead professional or that kind of role, which we end up doing, which is hypervigilance, managing everybody else, yeah. case holding all the information, making sure that everybody's doing their job, even when we don't have the the inf- adequate information to do that mm-hmm. anyway so then it, mm-hmm. it's not only stressful to have to do that in the first place it's additionally stressful because we don't know what everyone's supposed to be doing yeah and that is i always think why is there not that role in like a, a lead professional case holding role of professionals to do that job and bring everything together it's literally a role in its own right because there's yeah. so much that you have to do for it um with complex needs kids and yeah it's just stressful and I, mm. yeah, I've got currently millions of people in my house. Um, yeah. And that's stressful because they have to be here because Brecken is currently two to one um, yeah. because he can't, <laughs> he, well, he's trying to stand up and walk all the time, but he can't keep himself there and he's having lots of seizures, et cetera, et cetera. So lethal mix. But um, yeah, like I just have to remember not to flash people when I come yeah. out of the bathroom at the moment. Yeah. I don't need that in my life. Like, I'll be honest. I just want to. I just walk around with my. I just want to walk around with my boobs out and not have to have any like repercussion for that. But at the moment, that is not a current thing. So um... what kind of? I'm just thinking like first world problems. Like, show people your tits in your own home. Like what exactly. kind of world problems is that? SEM world problems. I just, I just, All I, I want just, to do is go to the loo. And I just want to be naked. Yes. Goodness me. So I was going to share, actually, why would you believe it? We're touching it really lightly. Light touch, okay? Um, The whole when we transferred my son to a blended diet after 16, just 15 and a bit years, which is very late. I'd always thought, ironically, blended diet sounded hippie. How nuts is that? (laughs) Ooh, giving your child actual food and mushing it up and putting it in the chair whoa what kind of crazy thing is this surely we should be manufacturing this in another country making sure it's got no food inside completely (laughs) artificially made and shoving it into your child for years so crazy but that's what i thought we did he was getting really poorly reflux was getting worse and worse and they were talking about putting a jedge in so a tube that not only goes into his stomach but then goes down into his bowel to stop the reflux but it has to be done much slower and he would be in a, on a feed for like 20 hours a day and I thought yeah. oh, if we're going to be doing that then I, I should at least give this weird hippie thing go <laughs> <laughs> we should at least let my hair, should, leg hair grow and just get on with it <laughs> so yeah just quickly Rach for anyone listening blended diet versus like milk feeding if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with disability stuff is basically when your child needs to be tube fed you are um, told by professionals that that has to be via milk um like you know formula and it's got it's supposed to have everything in it so it's like a completely balanced nutrition so it's like these you know like you get ensure pots so people who are like unable to eat lots but they just need to get their calories they need to get all their micronutrients it's that stuff and the dietitian calorates calorie manages it all and says oh you need a little bit more iron or you need a little bit whatever so anyway we we went to blend a diet and I actually made a massive difference but just in the process of doing that I went to the dietitian and said be really great to talk to you about the blended diet and to know what kind of foods are good to blend up from a nutrition point of view what kind of would be good for the vitamins and minerals what target calories am I going for based on the milk that he's having at this time and they sent me a whole load of forms that I had to sign that were all like your child might die if you do this <laughs> genuinely I said he might get peritonitis whatever um and also said um we'll also recommend that you do an online food hygiene certificate <laughs> and that we'll come and inspect your kitchen <laughs> so I can feed my other children I can feed my other children McDonald's seven yeah. days a week if I yeah. want to Super and noodles. No super noodles. <laughs> yes, I'll do. We do KFC Monday, McDonald's Tuesday, pot noodles Wednesday. Um, so it's just this. It's just this irony of um, 
the level of scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Would you believe the level of scrutiny that as soon as your child has a device in their stomach to give them food, the, the hoops and the whatever, and I completely, like I'm a nurse, I get that we need to um, protect vulnerable people and be sure that we are doing the right thing. But there also needs to be a little bit, a little more parental autonomy around mm. the very basic parts of life. Now, in with certainly with my other children, if they were rapidly losing weight, if they were, um, you know, looked malnourished, if their skin was, you know, if they looked unhealthy, then it would be absolutely um, social services, teachers' right to go, mm-hmm. oh, are you, are you feeding properly? Like, is this okay? Yeah, yeah. And why is that not the same for your child with complex needs? Like, it, 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 I completely get you should be saying, this isn't right, but you do it after you think it isn't right. Like, yeah, not, yeah. not preempting yeah. anyway. And also, like, if you're talking about vulnerable, ch- vulnerable people, all small children are vulnerable, and yet, you know, you don't have to... As a parent, you don't have to go on a parent uh, food hygiene course and a cookery course and know what it is that you're putting in your baby slash toddler. Um, mm. You know, it, it doesn't, it, it's not it doesn't the deal, no. um, which is really shitty. And I, I don't know, I just, I just did blended diet, like intuitively, and then got told, oh, you're not supposed to do that. And I was like, well, who are you to tell me what I can put in my child or not? Yeah. Um, I was just a bit like, no, it's not your call. But yeah. I think... It, it, you're made to feel like oh uh, am I doing the wrong thing am I yeah we are supposed to today be talking about relationships as in PSHE sexy relationships <laughs> yeah, year nine <laughs> so the boy the boy the, there's boys and girls when they're I'm having flashbacks other. And uh, <laughs> if they want to have a baby, the boy. Oh my goodness! Truly, at the, the end, tiber, and then they have tingles, and then they have a baby. At, at the end, <laughs> um, what we can do is we can all write down on a piece of paper what our question is, and it can be any question, any question that oh. you want. Oh, is this what you said? Okay. Oh God, yeah. Honestly, what secondary school sex ed because you teach biology. Oh, they were brilliant. <laughs> when you finished, how do you get the woman off? What was my favourite? <laughs> Oh, excellent! Because you're paralysed. Uh, well, I don't know. Feet. I, I think you got the new sort of like I don't know. Just oh, I'm get so stuck. overcome. I can't I possibly know. move. Like a fox, oh. you're just yes. stuck there. This is, this is it for a good two hours. Can you imagine afterwards, if you can't get them off. What would happen if you couldn't get them off? Yeah, you can't go to work the next day. <laughs> Wandering around, going, oh, really embarrassing. <laughs> I just can't get her off. They didn't. They didn't cover it in school. <laughs> I know. I think you misinterpreted the question. What can you do if you can't get the woman off? That's a, gen- <laughs> That's a very enlightened okay. question from a fifteen-year-old who just wants to be like you know pleasuring his partner, which you know, oh, fair enough. That's completely reframed it. I might have to go back. I'll find them. Find, find that 15 year old now, guys, however old like they are. He's in your 30s. How dare you? He's the, one, he's the one walking around with the woman. Oh, goodness me. Oh, yeah. Relationships. Relationships. Go on. Right, okay. yeah. right. Sorry. Okay, I've got distracted. <laughs> I do think on the subject quickly of year oh, no. nine sex ed, I do think there should be more on like pleasure stuff because we, yeah. we talk about like the biology shit. Can we, Don't can talk we just about... have a moment? Can we, Lucy, can we yeah. just have a moment to think about the poor biology <laughs> teacher <laughs> who is teaching this stuff just because you've got a biology degree does not yeah. mean that you should, <laughs> that you have any desire to talk to 13 year old boys yep. about Agreed. anything really. <laughs> so, so I agree that in theory that would be lovely, but having stood there in front of thirty sods, <laughs> it should be it should just be it. external to school, shouldn't it? It should be just people coming in. Maybe we should set that up as our next venture. Oh yeah, you do that. <laughs> Go on, head over. 
that, there you go. I'll, there'll be an ad following with Lucy's <laughs> sex ed. Relationships and sexual pleasure. Confused as to why being a science teacher has automatically enlisted you on the sex and relationships teaching team? Desperate for some other poor sod to tackle the masturbation minefield that is Year 9 Boys? Eager to see fully rounded sex and relationships education but unwilling, unable, would rather stick forks in your leg than do this yourself? You need me. Lucy Parr, untrained, unqualified and unshameable for all your PSHE needs. How has becoming the parent of someone with really complex needs um, changed uh, our relationship with ourselves? Like, how did it change your kind of your identity and how you um, how you sort of saw who you are in the world? Yeah, I think for me, I lost my identity a bit because I was drowning in the roles I was playing, which mm. is mum, nurse. Um, butt wiper, advocate, uh, therapist, et cetera, et cetera. And as I think as a parent, this is really tricky with um, complex needs kids because as a parent, you want to do the best for your kids. And I, I was like an overachiever mum mm. in terms mm-hmm. of I, I felt like I had to do everything that didn't happen to me. I didn't have like a solid, this is how you do it. It was just that don't do that. Um, so then I, I was trying to do my absolute best because I was like I don't want to fuck these kids up yeah oh yeah. dear lord I've had I've, I've four, four children and now I've got to like be responsible for actually making sure they get to adulthood and are not mm-hmm. um screwed up and, and you know and as we all know we all screw our kids up it's just a matter of how and how much and yeah <laughs> um yeah. It, you know that's just life but I think when I had Brecken that that feeling of I have to do this right I have to get this right because the stakes are so much higher yeah. it feels it felt like the stakes are so much higher if I don't and and I think it's it's more difficult when it's a rare thing so for Brecken it's it was such a rare thing that nobody was an expert in it yeah and so I was having to find information um tidbits of information and kind of incorporate <clears throat> them internalize them and then feed them back to the professionals that I'm working with um, and that was really hard because my role no longer became about being his mum in the typical sense and just like, you know, loving him and, and mm. being there and having fun and all the rest of it. It became about keeping him safe, advocating for what he needed, navigating a whole network of professional systems, um, being that parent, which we talked about before, came with a whole load of additional shit because mm. I was young. Um all of that stuff and I think yeah you I became the sum total of a bunch of roles that I played mm. rather than it became less relational and more functional yeah I think um I, how I viewed myself I was like yeah. I need to do this I need to do that I need to do the other and my relationship with myself and my kids well especially Brecken just became about doing the things that needed mm. to be done to mm-hmm enable him to access the world and live his best life. I think parenting brings out the best and worst in you. And for me, uh, the guilt, Mm. the guilt was very real when my son was born and I felt like some of the decisions that we made may have impacted how bad stuff ended up. And some of the very, you know, the very direct impact decisions, but also indirect of fight, you know, maybe we could have pushed for this to happen in a different way or that to happen a different way. And so I, that guilt fueled what you're talking about, Lucy, which is the sort of the, the jobs and the roles. I thought the way that I be the best this child needs me to be is to be juggling all the balls and making everything yeah. happen and being able to you know my husband coming home from work and I'd be like I've done this 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 because a it was somehow appeasing a level of guilt that things were my responsibility yeah 
that we were in this state in the first place. I was like trying to perform to what I thought was other people's expectations. Yeah. I, I guess I was trying to be the um, the Florence Nightingale yeah. of but the situation. Mom. Yeah, I can, I can, I can relate so much to both of you. There are so many parallels. So I did exactly that. You know, the guilt that it was five months between us seeing that there was something going on with her, and mm. then finally getting to diagnosis. I just knew, I knew there was something more, and I mm. fought to get that diagnosis, and I kept going back, and I kept going back, and we did keep going back. I was complicit in her misdiagnosis mm. at the beginning mm. because I knew. I think somewhere in my brain I knew that things were really seriously wrong. Like the, the medical professions mm-hmm. were saying to me, you know, including different GPs, three different paediatricians, this is dyspraxia, there is nothing neurological going on. You know, go, you know, go away and, and give your daughter the best life she possibly can have. So even though I somewhere I, that didn't sit, it was like, no, this isn't right. But I went along with it, which meant that when it did all turn to crap and it all blew up, I did exactly what the two of you are talking about of becoming then, like, I will do all of this, you mm-hmm. know? And, and and to the point of excluding people who loved her, who love her, you know, still love her. Mm-hmm. And I look back, I regret that so much. The, mm. the, the, um, I, I, didn't want to let anybody else in because she's my baby and I'm part of where we've got to. You know, if she'd been diagnosed mm. quicker, would it have been different? If this had happened, would it have been different? And so it was like, and I and I do regret it. Mm. And that, that comes those back to... are listening, I apologise. I am sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes back to, like, what you said there. It's that feeling of the stakes are higher. So yeah, the stakes yeah. are higher, the guilt is thicker, and it... I think we, you know, there's lots more to unpack, but that that does impact the way in which we see ourselves. And I think I mm. definitely lost myself. I think we've all talked about losing ourselves and it taken a long time to come back to, to who, and not to come back to the person we were, because that doesn't, person no. doesn't exist anymore, but rediscovering who, or just discovering. Yeah. Finding out Where, who, who, you are are you who, yeah. are, who are and who are who you are now. Born at the Right Time is an organisation focused on bridging the gap between families of people with complex needs and the many practitioners who support us. Through CPD certified training, workshops, advocacy and campaigning, Born at the Right Time team are passionate about seeing a cultural change in the policies that surround us, improving the service at delivery and bringing about a better lived experience for people caring for those with complex disabilities. So go to www.bornattherighttime.com for more information on CPD certified courses, parent workshops, or buy one of my books, The Skies Are Under or Shattered. Visit bornattherighttime.com to help bridge the gap between families of children with complex needs and those people who support us. Do we feel able to talk about um, the impact it has on our marriages? I think definitely um, it, it would be completely hilarious and ridiculous and lying to say that if you, you can have a complex knee <laughs> child and it not impact your marriage in some way um and I think the, the main and most obvious thing for us was that all of a sudden everything was kind of Brecon centered because yeah. and not out of choice never out of choice like mm-hmm. it's not like a oh we we have this child that we we will choose to kind of put as, as a priority over everyone else it just is the way it is literal like to keep him safe to keep him alive this um this is what we have to do and it has to be kind of all geared around reckon mm. which is a killer because yeah. you, you know that, that there's no choice there it just is how it is and you don't get we couldn't go out uh, as a couple you know you get we we started our marriage in the church and we're like you know drummed into oh, make sure you have marriage time every week go and have dinner and you go and discuss your life and and like pray together and all those things we couldn't do any of that so all of the things that we were being told to do 
to create a good marriage suddenly we couldn't do um yeah. we couldn't leave our child with a random babysitter that you couldn't mm. you know you could we couldn't leave him with just anyone that we had to get a carer in and we didn't have any social care support or anything until he was about 10 9 yeah. or 10 so it was just like absolute firefighting until that point um and I think yeah it's you are not the same people and I think we together in a crisis Stu and I are incredible like we could take on the world in a crisis mm. yeah um we are our best selves in a crisis which is great because, because the last 14 years it's an ongoing it's been one long crisis <laughs> so so we are very good and we know our roles in in the trauma that is and it is chronic trauma mm, like it's yeah. just not never ending <clears throat> and one thing after the other and nothing has been normal or typical in that whole time um but then when Brecken went away to residential in the summer we were like oh uh hello who are you mm. <laughs> um it's just like this this that whole thing about that we talked about just now about ourselves and ourselves outside of the roles that we play yeah we who are we outside of like crisis mode what does yeah. this look like and so we're we're gearing up to for Brecken to go back back to another residential provision in March and that will be our time then to like again rediscover oh we can we can go and chat to each other and it doesn't have to be about Brecken because Brecken is down there and sorted out and and yeah there'll obviously still be discussions and decisions we have to make about Brecken but it's not full-on in your face all the time mm -hmm. as it has been for the last however many years and so I, I honestly it's a big massive unknown of like mm. what it's kind of exciting and a bit scary and a bit like oh this this is like we get to rediscover this whole thing and maybe think about why we liked each other in the first place um <laughs> what about you sarah uh <clears throat> yeah so for for us i think it goes back to what we were just talking about before about the whole thing of becoming um so totally overwhelmed and in, and and I need to fix everything for us her treatment diagnosis it was a like a long chronic but high stakes treatment mm -hmm. you know there's you know the, yeah. the scan really upon scan upon, oh <laughs> god yeah um and that that you know kind of ended our marriage really it was easier to go through divorce than it was to try to hold like to try to work on that marriage as mm -hmm. well as being the mom that's doing all of these things as well and and you know in my in my little head the most important thing is her and keeping it going and holding it all together and doing all of that stuff so everything else can just you know like kind of I can't work on that as well you know okay. and some you know and and you know it's all worked out okay it's all everybody's good we get on really well um he's a brilliant dad I think as well, I don't know whether there is a, um, I don't know if advantage is the right word. I think it's possibly not the right word, but I don't know what the right word is. But there's that element of shared care and mm -hmm. that that weekend, by the Friday night that it's not my weekend, bloody hell I'm knackered. You know, like I'm on my knees and it sounds awful because I'm not... Yeah, I'm not suggesting that... And I've heard that from It's from the right other. option for... But bloody hell, it, it is <clears throat> like a inbuilt short break. Yeah, one of my friends, one of my friends, her son ha is autistic and she was saying, um, you know, for, for, for years she was just trying to get a break. Yeah. Like she just needed yeah, yeah. a break. And actually when her marriage ended, suddenly she got one. <laughs> like, yeah. Because, cause, yeah. And, I, and, and it wasn't... Like it was devastating, and she was absolutely you know, heartbroken. Yeah, but um, it did give her some space in that it just was not functional. And yeah, it's really yeah. it's what is I don't know what that says about the system uh, that supports families that actually being apart is more sustainable mm -hmm. than being together. Mm. And can we just yeah. interject there because I absolutely think that there is like a patriarchy bullshit thing happening there because <clears> I think it's way harder for women to get a break 
in mm. in general mm-hmm. than it is for guys and the the way society would view that um in terms of you know if if a if a woman's on a if a woman's on her knees well that's just your job you're a mum if a, if a guy's on his needs then there's mental health you know well mm. is there that's questionable but mm. that it's a different take and if a woman walks away from her kids obviously that's a no-go that's like the biggest yeah, taboo yeah, right taboo. if a guy yeah. walks away and and also I got this as well I got really frustrated with with Stu being being told he was oh you're such a good hands-on dad <laughs> I never fucking got that <laughs> oh you're a hands-on mum yeah have you seen that meme have you seen the meme where it's like fun dad and it's a dad coming through the door with a mcdonald's and like lazy mum and like the dad pushing the buggy watching his phone it's like oh engaged dad and the woman walking along watching her phone is like disengaged mum like the 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 whole idea of what we um the expectations like i've been asked at conferences so who's looking after the kids today then um I don't think I don't think my husband has ever been asked by a patient who's looking after his children while he's at work cuz obviously he has a full-time carer babysitter at home in the form of his wife. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, that whole thing is annoying and I yeah, it, and that adds friction to where they're potentially that external kind of social perception adds friction where there already is additional friction in because you know you get it let's be honest when you're raising a complex needs child you, you get pissed off with each other and you try and make different decisions and you butt heads and we make decisions very differently um I'm quite intuitive where Stu will consider all the facts so he's yeah. really sl- infuriatingly slow <laughs> for me and I'm just like oh we just need to do it but it's and, considered yeah. but yes but it's considered exactly so there yeah. are pros and cons and working that out when the stakes are so high as we've talked yeah. about yeah, under the pressure yeah. is completely different to you know oh are we going to feed the kids McDonald's I've seen it in treatment um if you're sort of going through treatment um, and watching because obviously you come into contact with lots of other families and things mm. and it it always felt as though there were the families where it brought everybody closer together and then there were the families where it kind of blew everybody apart mm. and I and I don't you can not predict which it's one it's like of those. rolling of the dice totally <laughs> yeah. and it was and it and I think when you're and I'd say like a you know kind of it's like a bomb going off and there's just dust everywhere and you can't see anything and then as it settles, you realise just how far away you are yeah. from not just your partner, but also like everybody, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. like I'm talking like the the school run mums and the, yeah. do you know, yeah. because I had a, um, I had such resentment <laughs> of, of those mums who were putting the PE kits together. Do you know what I mean? Who were working out the sandwiches and who were working out like, because that's, all I wanted to do, all yeah. I wanted to do was the stuff I'd been doing, you know, kind of I think days, a, weeks before. I think there's a, that is a very real thing and I, I saw it in my own life and I see it and I saw it when I was writing my book and I see it um, so often in Facebook um, forums and stuff with parents like us and it's this, it's not that you want everybody else to be miserable. No. But the normality <clears throat> of other people's lives or or the... Um, text that comes through of so-and-so's been born and mum and baby are well and you know for me that's like um, because of our story that just like is like yeah it just it gets me in the gut and I not because I don't want it to be well but it's the difference between what was and what I expected and what is and other people's realities and therefore just feeling like um Oh, it's that frustrating thing you do because you just don't know you're born. Do you know I mean you just don't know how yeah, hard it yeah. is? And yeah. that self, and it kind of it makes a massive gap between our relationships with people because yeah. I felt like I couldn't, um, and I it felt worse when people thought they understood. Like those yeah. people yeah. that are still friends with me now are the people that right at the very beginning is I don't get what you're going through, but I want to come along for the ride and understand it. And yeah. those people that I quickly put distance between myself and them were the people who were like, oh, it's just the same as, and actually, no, it's not. 
the same as with B there was like the um oh my nan had cancer <laughs> I'll just uh, and any like um, I'm going to be real right going back to what you said about I don't want people you, you never want other people to be miserable I fucking do sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I, don't lie. I, I want fucking people to understand how shit it is and, and at the beginning and, and I think we've all touched on this right at the, be- right at the beginning we like I was so infu- like I was so angry, angry. yeah like, I yeah. was angry I was yeah, like, and yeah. I still get angry um that people are fussing over bullshit about phonics or yeah. fussing over bullshit about oh my child didn't didn't get a nine in their in their GCSE I don't, yeah who fucking but knows? Lucy Lucy, don't like I. I completely get that, and what I wanted was for people to have. I wanted people to have the moment when they realised that there is no safety net for their kids. I wanted mm. to have that blood rushing in your head moment for maybe an hour, and then take it away again. Like I didn't like. It's like you're not wishing anything ill on people, but you're just wishing that that realization. Just you have this physiological response to total loss of control about somebody you love to the that you would give your life for just have that for a minute and then bring me some cake and uh, yeah and I guess on, <laughs> yeah. on reflection maybe that is about us just craving that like connection yeah we've all talked yeah. about actually none none you know it the bomb analogy is amazing because not only does the dust settle when you're far, far away from each other, the dust settles and it's all completely different. Yeah. It all looks completely different and your relationships are different and you suddenly feel on the outside of something that you were very familiar on the inside of before. Um, And that we're like, we're humans. We're built for connection. We're built for like Mm -hmm. that empathy, the, the like the real genuine, authentic connection with other people and like the walking together through life and all that stuff which you you then cruelly and in whatever way get take it gets taken away from you when you have a complex needs child because and maybe that wanting people to just understand this bit yeah yeah just feel Mm. miserable for a fucking hour yeah but it's only but it's the temporary it's just the temporary thing isn't it so so pain it's just a momentary pain (laughs) yeah it's just that's so much better then that's fine then actually (laughs) We just no, wish people harm. That's that's fine. That's so much more reasonable. But on the flip, let, let's I don't want life to... changing. It's like when yeah. something bad happens, like life changing injuries. Do not want life changing no. injuries? No. Just just momentary, temporary. I think it's important. I think it is important though to acknowledge that that is. I think all three of us have had those resentful, angry, mm, definitely pissed off. You know, like kind of because it, it comes back again, doesn't it? To that kind of being the super mum, like just being happy, lovely, for nice for their successes. So this week we have talked about relationships, um, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our partners, and our relationship with others. And we have a question that's come through on Instagram that I would um, love to ask the three of us, and we can um, think. We've had lots of nice messages of people saying that what we're talking about makes them feel like all the crazy stuff in their head is not so unusual because we're all thinking it the same too (laughs) but this particular question um is uh somebody it's someone's best friend saying that their their best friend's um daughter has been diagnosed um as having a rare genetic condition and the implication of those those milestones that we expected being lost um is reflected in this question saying she's gonna have seizures and unlikely to walk and talk and and she just basically wants to know how she can be a good friend. Doesn't live locally, so that limits um, some mm. of that hands-on stuff. So um, how will it get better and how can we help? Who would like to go? Oh, there's a hard one. It's tricky, yeah, isn't it? Is First thing is um, kind of high-five to you for even thinking about and like kind of saying, actually, this is really tricky and I could do with a bit of advice on this one, you know, because mm. a lot of people do yeah. run for the hills. <laughs> um, so I would, um, the first thing that I would say is that um, it may not settle for a long time, you know, that, that, that there isn't, like you can't rush somebody through yeah. to make you feel more comfortable. 
you know like kind mm-hmm. of the, she's just going to do all this stuff at her own at her own pace um and and brownies is you can get <laughs> not the postal, little girls but the not the brownies, <laughs> the brownies can you imagine how just bloody annoying it would be it's, yeah they would come around i hear you're really struggling <laughs> so i brought some eight-year-old girls around <laughs> yeah to make you breakfast in bed um, um yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't go well but there's brownies postal brownies and there is a fabulous website called m and friends and there are some beautiful cards on there that just say some stuff that's like i like i've sent lots of m and friends cards because they're they're not the traditional it's just when they say things when you don't know how to say stuff so that i like those but yeah i think there was yeah. a great um quote that glennon doyle did in her one of her books i think it was love warrior and she said people who are in grief do not need fixes providers can't remember the other kind but we don't need people telling us pointing us advising us we need a vigilant witness to our grief mm, yeah. so mm-hmm. just that check in that says i see you i'm not expecting a response yeah. um just so still thinking of you today like this is just my check in i'm just messaging yeah. to say i i'm sorry it's hard and i don't understand it and i don't it doesn't make sense to me so just that we've all talked about um connection and being seen and so just mm-hmm. um and the, i don't know i think we've also also all reflected that the friends that said i don't understand but i want to were yeah. the friends that we continued to invest yeah. in um but we can't rush that mm. um that sense of loss and the impact that yeah. it has so um just be patient and um brownies I get, I send people yeah. Tesco deliveries. I'm like, are you going to be in? Yeah, yeah. And then I plan <laughs> yeah. a Tesco delivery to show up at their door um, with very ordinary mundane things and just some little luxuries. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I yeah, think I think, you, I think Rachel, well. sorry. I think Rachel, what you said about keeping people in mind is really powerful. Um, you know, like holding people in mind and letting people know that you, you, you are being thought of and you are um, held in that space somewhere is really yeah. powerful but I think it can be really tricky for friends to inadvertently kind of isolate you further by not checking in because they think that they are going to burden or impose and I think it's really important to say actually it's never a burden or an imposition well for me it's never a burden or imposition if somebody checks in with me and says oh you know how's it going and also my friend Sarah that we talked about before um she, me and her have shit life offs and we talk about, and, and she just tells me how she knows my life is harder, but she does not stop telling me the silly things that happen to her. And I think that's really refreshing because it's yeah. like, oh, I got a text from Sarah telling me that she, you know, she accidentally flashed the lifeguard or whatever it is. <laughs> that's happened a few times, but you know, <laughs> various things. Doesn't it's sound funny. much like an accident if it's happened a few normal. times. Too often. Normal life. Too often. You know, realize, it just reminds you that there's stuff outside and that people people are still having their weird and wonderful ways. And yes, your life feels like it's imploding, but actually just to have that connection to, there is, yeah. there is stuff outside of this that is still yeah. existing. I have sent yeah. I have sent um friends um swearing coloring books. Mm-hmm. So there Very is a nice. coloring book with just swear words. And I have sent um yes, uh Pinterest type images of swear words. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. there isn't another word that really suits how you're no. feeling at a point. No. In I time. Think and you the... can't fix it. You can't fix no. it as a friend, can you? You can't fix it. You can't That's fix just it. The deal. And one of the things as well is is um so when you start, you know, if you do, if you do get in touch and I really hope that you do and that you do regularly, it's that thing of saying at the very beginning, no need to respond, mm-hmm. you know, like kind of, and, and then when they don't respond, don't get arsy, you know, because it's that if you've said <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's no need to respond and then, and then you feel yourself getting arsy, then you just need to have a word with yourself, you know, and yeah. just recognize that you know it's it's just about like you said connection checking in and then time it's just time isn't and it and time and continuing yeah. to be your real self continue to be who you are so that when you are mm-hmm. together you're not yeah. trying to put on any version of yourself but you're just who you are mm-hmm. um and it's tough it's tough um but thank you to all those friends who are 
standing vigil and witnessing the pain of yeah. where people are at and um, because it's not easy to hold the gaze of grief but it is vitally important and enables um people to feel connected which we've talked a lot about in this episode today so thank you for listening to the skies are under podcast again thanks to the lovely lucy and the fabulous Sarah for joining me um, for this week's conversation. As you can tell by the top of conversation this week, it's all gone a little bit pear-shaped for us all. We're all up to EHCP, I want to say... Case holding administration slash <laughs> everything in the whole world holding the sky up situation. So yes, if we're going to talk in the next um, lot of episodes, we're going to talk about guilt and we're going to talk about self-care and we're going to talk about um, feeding our children um, well and sleep and things. But if we're going to talk about self-care, then we actually need to look after ourselves and practice what we preach. So we're not going to produce a podcast for next week and we're going to be back in two weeks time while we gather ourselves um, and try to maintain this balance of um, our loved ones and all of our responsibilities and doing this wonderful thing that we love doing, which is this podcast. So thanks again to Harry and Rebecca for your support and um, the administration of everything for the audio magician-ness. That's actually a real thing. <laughs> we would really love to hear from you, the listeners. Um, you now have two weeks to tell all your friends and all your family and the practitioners, whether they're, and people, whether they um, are related to people with um, special educational needs or additional needs or complex needs or not, they can listen in. Very happy to have them along for the ride. You can email the podcast at twupodcast at gmail.com. You can Instagram message me at born at right time on Instagram or Facebook. It would be wonderful if you could rate, review and subscribe. And the three of us will be back in two weeks time. So thank you all. Say goodbye, Lucy and Sarah. Goodbye. Bye guys. See you in a couple of weeks. And we hope you have an okay time, whatever skies we're under. <laughs>